Thank you, Mark, for your prayers and Anita for reading uh, for us. As 2020 begins, are you all in? You may be feeling done in after the Christmas celebrations and all the food and so on, if you've been uh, like me. But are you all in for Jesus? I was thinking on the eve of the Epiphany, if a group of people could be said to be all in for Jesus, the Magi would be that group, wouldn't they? They were the ones who came from afar, who, who risked everything, who left everything, who came and gave expensive gifts, who bowed down and worshipped the whole direction of their life toward the Christ, the newborn King. Now, I don't know if there are any card sharps in the room. You don't need to admit it now. But it's a long time since I've played any form of cards, really. But I do know that going all in is card lingo for basically putting all your chips, every last penny, betting the hand, as it were, on one particular hand. If you lose, you're out of the game and you lose everything. So given the risks of going all in, what would possess anyone to do that? A seasoned poker player is not going to go all in unless they're convinced that the hand that they've got is going to beat all the other hands at the table. If you know that your hand is the winning hand, then you go all in because you know that you'll get everything you staked back and some. Well, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, discipleship, following him, is an all-in endeavour. Have a look down at Mark chapter 8 and verse 35. Verse 35, where Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Going all in for Jesus is believing and trusting that he alone can save. Going all in for Jesus is believing and trusting that he alone rules and that he rules my life. He's the king. And it may sound to you like a huge risk, a gamble. You'll only go all in when you have complete confidence that doing so will result in gain. Why don't we go all in for Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it, to ask at the start of a new year, or perhaps put it more positively. What would, what would make me go all in, put all my chips on Jesus Christ, the one who is the Saviour and the Lord. The one who Christmas has revealed to be the Saviour and the Lord. What will make me go all in? I think we think that going all in is a risk not worth taking because we're afraid, we're afraid that if we go all in, we'll lose out. We're, we're, many of us are British as well, aren't we? And we, the idea of just putting everything down is not something that we find easy. And I think the depth of our discipleship betrays that, doesn't it? We are afraid of going all in. So on this first Lord's Day of the new year, what will give us confidence? What will strengthen our hand to give everything for Jesus? To go all in for him as we begin 2020. Uh, three ways that I think confidence can come, come from this passage. And here's the first one. When you truly accept that Jesus is the king, here's the question that defines Jesus, that defines followers of Jesus. Confidence first comes accepting Jesus for who he is, for understanding his 
identity. It seems like eons ago, doesn't it? But about two-thirds of those registered to vote cast their ballots in December's general election, which means a third many millions of voters didn't think that any of the candidates presumably would make any difference in their lives. Whereas our media feeds are regularly telling us that a sick person will willingly do everything it takes to fly across the world to get the treatment that they need for their condition because they're confident the medical expertise will be, I don't know, stateside to help them to get well again or to give them a shot at life. By the same token, going all in for Jesus needs a full conviction, a full confidence as to who he really is. Will he make a difference to me, to my life? Have a look down at verse 27 of chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? I hope that's a question that we would never ask someone to answer for us, you know, up Jerry Town, who do people say that I am? But of course for Jesus it's entirely right, isn't it? And notice how very quickly he turns the question on the disciples, and they are asked, who do you say? That I am. This is the question, isn't it, that's cropped up time after time in the autumn. We looked at the first half of Mark's gospel. It really was all about the identity of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? The one who has authority to drive out demons, forgive sins, control the elements, heal the sick, feed the hungry, raise the dead, cause a massive stir. That's the question, isn't it, for each one of us that we cannot duck. Who do you say that I am? He puts Peter on the spot, doesn't he? But I guess he puts us on the spot by extension. Here's the question that defines a disciple. Do you know who I am? And up till now, the disciples have been given the secret of the kingdom, but still appear to be blind to who Jesus really is. But then Peter, verse 29, massive moment, huge turning point. You are the Christ. You are the king of God. You are the waited for, longed for, anointed, spirit-endued saviour and king, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Wow. Who do you say that I am? We need that confidence, don't we? If we're going to follow Jesus in 2020 and for the rest of our lives, we need confidence as to who he truly is. You see, if I think that Jesus gives me profound religious principles which might be helpful or beneficial by which I might live my life, then we will not go all in. If he's not our king, then we might give him a portion of our thinking, but we won't give him our mind. And if we think Jesus is a mere prophet who sheds some light on who God is and what he wants from us, then maybe we'll give him our ear from time to time. But we won't give him our heart. But if you truly accept that Jesus is the promised Saviour and King, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, then it's head, heart and hands, isn't it? It's all the chips. It's all in for Jesus. Because you believe he's the only one who will save you. You won't look to other things. You'll be freed to serve him and overjoyed to submit to his rule. So what is it for you? Are you convicted? that your greatest burden is sin, that your greatest blessing is forgiveness, that will strengthen your hand to live for the one 
who saves you and who wants to lead you on. I think it's tempting, isn't it, after the Christmas splurge to think that our greatest need in 2020 is financial. I'm not looking forward to my credit card bill popping through in the next few days. But if we think our greatest need is financial in 2020, then what will we live like? We'll live as if only money can save us. And so money will rule us. It won't be you are the Christ. We'll be looking to money and we'll be saying, you, you're the king. You're the Christ. Or if you've got the January blues and you think your greatest need is for rest, maybe you've been grotty like many of us have over Christmas at some point, health-wise. Then you'll live as though only a holiday in the sun or early retirement will deliver you. So they will rule you. The irony being, and it's a confession, that apparently yesterday was the day that so, the most people booked their holidays. We booked one yesterday. <laughs> but actually, does it rule us? Is rest our king? If it is, we'll live for the next all-inclusive, won't we? But if you're convinced that Jesus is the saviour who went all in for you, then you'll serve him. Another hindrance to living with Jesus as our king, uh, going all in, is the false rulers in our lives that we feel the need to serve. It might be the opinions of others that are functionally being king in our lives, influencing our decisions, who we hang out with. We're crushed by criticism. We're delivered by adulation. Or the patterns and pleasures on offer to us. It's easy, isn't it, to hedge our bets and give them some of our chips rather than going all in for King Jesus. And that chips away at our confidence, doesn't it, as to who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the King. And so wholehearted service and loyalty ebbs away when we allow other things to be the king when he rules us all in all so there's the first thing the first thing that can give us confidence the first thing that will cause us to go all in when we truly accept that Jesus is the king he deserves everything and this is the question that defines a follower defines a disciple of Jesus my soul, my life, my all. He deserves it all. He's redeemed it all. Will we give him all? Second. Second way confidence comes. When you truly commit yourself to the king's cause. Peter blurted it out, didn't he? You are the Christ. But do you know what he was thinking? Here's what he was thinking. He was thinking... Military victories. He was thinking parades. He was thinking kicking out oppressors politically. He was thinking about gaining the supremacy. He was thinking about singing glory, glory, hallelujah down the main drag of Jerusalem. But you know, to actually get who Jesus really is, when he says, so you'll follow me, will you? When we just deal with the first point, everybody says, yeah. But then look, verse 31, at what Jesus is going to tell us that being the Christ is going to entail, and in turn, the follower of Christ is going to entail. Verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Peter, Peter, these victories, these parades, this supremacy, 
How about misunderstanding? How about rejection? How about suffering? How about death? I'm just trying to imagine how hearing that news would have felt like to Peter and co. You are the Christ. You're the king. You're the one we expected. You're going to boot out all these people that are upsetting us. You're going to transform our lives. You're going you're to make everything better. Bishop Tom Wright says this. You might as well have a football captain tell the team that he was intending to let the opposition score 10 goals right away. And that certainly wasn't what Peter and the rest of them had in mind. As Charlie Brown once said, winning ain't everything, but losing ain't anything. And Jesus seemed to be saying he was going to lose. And worse still, as we'll come on to in a moment, he was inviting them to come and lose alongside him. What? No wonder Peter reacts in the way he does. It's so easy, isn't it, to be attracted to Jesus without being committed to his cause, to say, you're the king, you're the Christ, but then to take him aside and begin to rebuke him, like Peter does in verse 32. He spoke plainly about this, did Jesus, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Same sort of word as when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, a very strong word, no Jesus. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is the suffering servant. I wonder if you loved, like I did, the message of Isaiah 9 this Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. You're the king. You're the Christ. But what about Isaiah 53? He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Don't give me a Christ who isn't the suffering servant. Verse 31, the Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer. It's the only way that this king could save his people from their sins to purchase them with his own death on the cross. He must walk a certain path. He must walk a certain path. And if we can't understand and we can't commit to the he must suffer, be rejected, die, our own discipleship will just fall flat on its face this year. It'll fall flat on its face. Why? Well, we'd have no category whatsoever for suffering, would we? No category whatsoever in which to put suffering in the Christian life. Rejection, suffering, death, that's his mission. Are we committed to the king's cause? This is the question that determines discipleship. And you know, here's how I've been thinking of it this week. I think there are many, many, many fans of Jesus. But being a fan of Jesus is not the same as being a follower. Being a fan of Jesus, you're the Christ, the King, is not the same as being a follower. You were misunderstood, you were rejected, you suffered, you died. Oh, and I might have to do the same if I'm going to follow you. It's a stumbling block, isn't it, for 
much of today's church. That's why we're so weak in work and witness, because we forget that we have a crucified Christ. And if we forget we have a crucified Christ, we won't have a category for suffering. We won't have a category for sacrifice. We won't have a category for service. And so we can't be a disciple. Because being a disciple, being a follower of this Jesus, means all of those things in their place. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says. Any attitude, any Christianity that will not allow of a crucified Christ will not truly allow Jesus to be the King, the Lord. And I'm concerned that so much is dressed up as Christianity. That so much is dressed up as God wants for us our best life now. That is a lie. God does not want for us our best life now. He hasn't come to offer us our best life now. Where is the place in your life for suffering, for sacrifice, and for service? Because if we don't recognize Jesus as the Christ who would be misunderstood, be rejected, and whose salvation and glory would come through suffering and death, then how could we seek to attain salvation and glory other than through suffering and death? I've been really challenged this week to think that actually so much of my life may well actually be functioning as a rebuke of Jesus. Is our life preaching that we have no room for a suffering saviour and therefore no room for suffering, for sacrifice or for service in the Christian life? Whereas Confidence to go all in for Jesus in 2020 comes from accepting that Jesus is the King, the question that defines discipleship, and from committing ourselves to the King's cause, the cross, which is the question that determines discipleship, whether we're going to follow or not. And then here's the final way. Here's the final way where confidence comes from and flows from, to go all in for Jesus. Here's the question that demonstrates discipleship, when you truly live in the light of the king's return. Very simply, don't swallow the lie that God wants your best life now, because this life is not all that there is. There's two lies, aren't there, really, to deal with, that God wants our best life now, and that this life is all that there is. They go together, don't they? But they're lies. Verse 34 tells us the truth. I love the way that Jesus always tells the truth. He then called the crowd. So he wants everybody to hear this, not just his disciples. He wants Enderby to know that this is what it means to be a follower, not just a fan of Jesus. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's the call of Jesus, isn't it, in a nutshell. Walk my way carry my cross. Not in the sense of bearing the penalty for sin. He's done that himself, hasn't he, for all who trust in him. But take up my cross as your daily pattern of living. Do you remember verse 31, the divine he must? See at verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and so on. Here's another must in verse 34, and this time it's for anyone who would be a follower 
of Jesus. Not just a fan, a follower. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's either all or nothing. Whereas 21st century church, 21st century Western Christianity tends to be about Jesus who we're told will fix it for us, fill it up for us, and fluff it up for us. Is our Jesus a fix it, fill it up, fluff it Jesus? Or is he the Jesus who took up his own cross and who asks us to take up ours in suffering and sacrifice and in service? To those who present to me the fix it up, fill it up, fluff it up Jesus, I ask, what about the forsaken Jesus of the cross? You see how it works, doesn't it? If Jesus is stripped of his cross, then discipleship is stripped of its cross. Whereas discipleship that is shaped by God, where we're followers of Jesus, not just fans, is cruciform, it's shaped by the cross. Discipleship light has a lot of followers. It's very attractive, isn't it? No one wants the cross. It's much more attractive to the world, to Enderby, I guess, to give them the fix-it, fill-them-up, fluff-it Jesus. We might think, well, let's not put people off. Let's get them with the warm fuzzies first. And after a while, yes, if things become a little bit difficult, we'll have to tell them about suffering and sacrifice and service. We'll have to tell them about Jesus' cross. But you see, again, I say, verse 34, Jesus' agenda for discipleship is not just for a special category of super keen Christians. He wants the whole village, the whole world, fan, follower, or foe of Jesus to understand beyond doubt what it looks like to follow him. It's the first time he talks about discipleship in Mark's Gospel. It's the first thing he says about it. This is not some advanced module. This is Discipleship 101, why? Because this is the only Christianity that there is. So as we draw things together, how are we, friends, to have the confidence to carry the cross of Christian discipleship, not just this year, but along the road of our lives? Verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. We'll do it because as a follower, not just a fan, though we die, we will live. Though we die, we will live. Heavenly glory awaits as it awaited Jesus at his resurrection and ascension. So it awaits all who put their trust in him. All who will walk down the road mark suffering, service and sacrifice in this life will attain to the glory of the life to come. You know the Narnia guy, C.S. Lewis? He riffs on this. He says this. He says, Nothing you have not given away will be really yours. That's striking, isn't it? Nothing that you will not give, you've not given away will be really yours. And then listen to this. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. 
nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Which means that everything you do give away in suffering, sacrificial service of Christ in this world will be yours, raised in glory in the next. And that gives me confidence. And it doesn't just give me confidence, it gives me joy to walk down that road, however hard it's going to be. You see, if I'm not prepared to miss my favourite TV show in order to visit the lonely old man next door, then I know I'm not going to give up my life. If I'm not prepared to give up my bed to serve someone in need, then I can be sure I won't give up my life. If I'm not prepared to pursue people who are different from me in order to be a blessing to them, then I know that I won't give up my life. If I'm not prepared to give up a holiday abroad so that I can give more money to support someone in gospel ministry, I can be sure I won't give up my life. If I'm not prepared to miss out on a promotion so that I can free up time to stay around and lead more ministry in my local church, you can be sure you won't give up your life. And if you're not prepared to jeopardize a friendship, risk rejection, or ruin your street cred so that you can tell others about Jesus, the Savior and King they desperately need, then we can be 100% sure we won't give up our lives. It's only as I learn to die to self in those little moments that I'll be prepared to give up my life in that big moment of crisis. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Who gave up your life, his life for you? Will you not give your soul, your life, your all for him? That's what we've signed up to if we've said we're Christians. Because we're not fans, we're followers. Can I say, if that's not you, on one hand I'm tempted to say, walk away before it gets too costly. But of course, before you walk away, because I don't really want you to walk away, Let's just finish very briefly with why you might answer Jesus' call. You know, I was thinking over Christmas, if Jesus had only been a king in the sense of being a king high up on a throne, and I was struck by this even as Mark was praying about things to do in the, in the world at the moment, politically with power and so on. If, if a king or a leader is only high up on a throne, then we might submit to them for a while because we kind of have to. But if he's a king who went to a cross out of love to give his life for me, then I don't submit to him merely because I have to. I submit to him because I trust him. Because I, I, I love him. Verse 35, one last time. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Here is an outright guarantee, friends, that anyone who goes all in for Jesus, 2020, in your life, will win. In fact, what we do as followers, isn't it, is we put more and more of our chips on Jesus each day. Daily installments. We're allowed to pay in daily installments. <laughs> as we stand for him, as we suffer for him, as we sacrifice for him, as we serve him in home life, in work life, in church life, becoming more like Christ because of his spirit working within us. And the world looks at you, it might be at work, it might be neighbours and friends, 
might be people in your school or college, and they think you've gone mad. Why would you put all your chips on Jesus? They think it's some kind of massive bluff, that when everybody at the end of time has to sort of put all their, their cards on the table, as it were, we will be shown to be on the lose. We will be losers of the worst kind. Whereas, of course, we know that when the show and tell comes, and our, all the cards go on the table, those who trust in Jesus and who are living for Jesus, we have got the royal flush. Terrible bargain, the world thinks. No, no, no. We will live. We will be saved. So all in for Jesus, to have that kind of confidence We have to accept that he's king, that defines our discipleship. We need to commit to his cause, the cross, that determines discipleship. And we need to live in the light of his return. That's what it looks like to demonstrate discipleship. As another year turns, friends, what are you doing with your life? Are you hedging your bets? Are we in danger of being fans but not followers? Let's repent of that. Let's ask again for that miracle of spiritual sight. That's why that account is there that we read earlier. In verses 22 to 26. Ask God to help you see that following Christ crucified is worth it. He is worth it. Go all in. Put all the chips in the only safe place. The stakes couldn't be higher. The costs couldn't be greater. But the rewards couldn't be better. And the outcome could not be more certain. And if you're already a follower, hang on in. Keep investing those chips day by day in self-denying, cross-carrying, selfless, sacrificial, service. Let's be quiet for a moment.